Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. My in-laws started a foundation and a fund for people that had been exposed to toxic burn pits through National Jewish Health in Denver. We can help military members get funding for outside care that they need. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. And welcome back to The Cannamom Show. I am Joyce Gerber, and we are so grateful you are joining us again today as we continue on our mission of crushing that stigma around cannabis and caregivers. So... I don't know. I've been in a weird mood. Dave and I were talking about before we started recording all the Israeli drama this weekend has really sort of shook my core. I am Jewish. Dave is also Jewish. Mm -hmm. I have been to Israel several times. And honestly, if you're not Jewish, I'm not sure how you feel. But literally, this feels like an existential crisis to me. So if I sound a little slow today, that is why. (laughs) Well, it's good that you care. It's just to me, it's it's just plain frustrating. There's not. I mean, other than maybe donating a whole bunch of money or something, like what can we do from afar? And it is a threat to every Jew on the planet, really. And uh, I don't know what's going through your head, Joyce. So I am. I talk about this. I kind of kid. And I also kid about my Jewish cannabis connection. I call it Mm -hmm. my new JCC. Mm -hmm. There are just um, a lot of threads in my life that connect back to Judaism, including I am a Jew by birth, but a Jew by choice. So. I know my history. I know that we're a very small, small percentage of the world. We are, anyone who has no sense, two-tenths of 1%. That is like the state of New Hampshire. Yeah. 
Yeah. Whole I mean, world. But, We're not even talking Israel. We are talking the entire world of people who identify as Jews. Yeah. Those of us that live in the Northeast, you know, along Route 95, we might feel like we're uh, there are Jewish people everywhere, Jewish people in entertainment, Jewish people in corporate America. But yeah, to the world, we are this this little blip and a blip that throughout the course of history, some people want to wipe off the planet. Wipe planet. I was just saying to you before we started recording, Joyce, it's like we're going to wear our yarmulkes and eat our matzah. Leave us alone. You know <laughs> what? I mean, I don't mean to make a joke out of it, but it's this thinking that these people are inferior to us and thus they must go. That is just, it's it's frustrating that after thousands of years on this planet, humanity hasn't learned that that is wrong, or at least not all of humanity has. I think it's a story. I mean, and I talk about this with the podcast, the power of stories. This is a story that was made up. I can almost tell you, if you believe in the story of what Jews are, I can almost tell you your part if you're talking to me what your narrative is, where you're coming from. I mean, there are 1.9 billion Muslims on this planet. I think that's the number. And this idea that Jews have any threat to anyone, Christians. Yeah. I mean, the Christians really are upset with Jews because of Christ. And there, But it was a story. There, there are stories that exist for a long time because, and this is what I think, there are so few of us. We are a little bit isolationist. We tend to gather together. We've been forced into ghettos for most of our existence. Mm. Mm. So we seem like we're a little weird. And... If you don't know us, you think there's something weird or strange. And I have been very intentional my entire life. And with my children, I talk about this. I am out there. I live in a community that accepts Jewish people, but it's not a Jewish community. I am a very active member in my community. My son is in Nashville. He's a professional musician, and he wears his Star of David. And I've always asked him if he has issues, and he says he really hasn't come across anything. But, you know, we've grown up with some anti-Semitism. My parents Mm -hmm. grew up with more. My daughter, who I thought didn't have any, was talking really about this Palestinian story, which is a new one, and how she feels very, she feels like she can't speak out because she's a Jew, because it's so pro-Palestinian in her, with the people that she knows, aside from her camp friends and maybe one or two Jewish friends. So that's a new way of talking about anti-Semitism as anti-Zionism. I mean, I really believe that. And honest to God, I feel like this is just the next pogrom that is trying to get people out of a country or out of a land, just like we've always done. But this time we have an army. And it's different. And when we fight back, when the Israelis are fighting back and the Jews are fighting back, it's not going to be pretty. And people are going to be really bad at us again. And it makes me sad. I know. Maybe if there's a silver lining, picking up on what you just said, it's that the young generation of people will realize that all of this is real. Because when you learn about it in Hebrew school and you learn about the Holocaust and everything, some people might be truly affected by that and realize, wow, we've been threatened our entire existence. But to some, it really kind of seems distant. It seems like it was so long ago. It never happened. We know it was not that long ago at all. And we know that ever since the Nazis, every 10 years, there's something. There's a war. There's a war. And there's an attempt to overthrow Israel. There's anti-Semitism. I mean, I remember as a kid watching the TV movie Skokie, which, which, was, which I don't know if you remember, but it was, mm-hmm. it was a real Jewish pride movie about Nazis that wanted to march in Skokie, Illinois. And the, the Jews and even the old Jews coming out and saying, if they march down my street, I'm going to pick up. This is like an old 80-year-old guy going, I'm going to pick up a baseball bat or a stick. I'm going to do anything I can because never again. And I got really, like, moved by that. And it's like, this this never ends. So, And, again, I'm watching these young people who are at the music festival, and they look like my kids. Yeah. I mean, we really look like my kids. So sorry to get so emotional. That was not my intent. 
I was going to talk about my federal cannabis policy work with Shailene Title and um, Natasha Andrews, but we'll do that next week. And okay. I did have a culture corner about guns, but it's kind of like the whole thing. We have all these myths and stories that we don't know about. So maybe I will. I'm going to transition the move because I'm really sad. Okay. We're going to do the culture corner and then we're going to introduce our guest who happens to be from Illinois. So this kind of like segues. So here we go. <laughs> All right. I feel, so I feel better already. I do too. All right. <laughs> just talking about big American myths. I have a recommendation of a podcast called The Gun Machine, just really investigating the history of gun history, which I don't know anything about literally. And anyone who's from Massachusetts, we have a gun central in Springfield, Massachusetts. Do you know why guns are made in Springfield, Massachusetts, Dave? I do not. I did not either until I heard this podcast, which I'm now on season three, but it was this whole idea that guns before the Revolutionary War were really in artisanal pieces, that each piece was like made by a person. Nothing was interchangeable. It was like a whole different like Handmade, weapon. Yeah. And then after the revolution, George Washington, the government of the United States, just listen to this because everyone thinks the government's so anti-gun. The government of the United States is the reason for the gun industry in America Mm -hmm. Washington had his own gun manufacturing down in Virginia because politicians still made money off of stuff. And then a man up in Massachusetts won the contract in Springfield, and that is how it ended up here. And there's a whole other history, and it's always based on racism because everything in America is based on racism. And it's just a fascinating story about how the gun industry literally wouldn't exist without our government supporting it and the marketing of it. And stories, again, these stories, think of all the Westerns. Westerns are always gun names, gunfire, gunpowder, eight guns, eight I don't even know them. Gunsmoke. Yeah. Gunsmoke. <laughs> and how they portrayed indigenous people, which, again, is a, a bad narrative. And it turns out indigenous people are actually better at using guns than the Westerners. So, so many things we don't understand. It's really well done. It's from NPR. I cannot remember the name of the person who did it, um, but it is called The Gun Machine. The Gun Machine. I'm going to check that out. I like those. Uh, so, it's it's really just... Kind of pure history. Oh, or pure it, history. Or, okay, yeah. And and this guy is a gun enthusiast. He's a black gun enthusiast who is doing really? this podcast. Oh, yeah. It, like, messes with your head. It's everything you don't understand. It's that, yeah, cult, a dissonance of your brain. You can't, like, keep it together. It's like, what? This this and that? It's exactly what it is. Cognitive mm. dissonance. I think that's where, the, that's where God comes in at that moment of, like, cog, true, <laughs> two, two things that can't seem like they could possibly go together. Yeah. This is an it's an amazing story when you think about it, and maybe that's the way you unravel the knot. I keep thinking about this. How do you undo this knot? Maybe you want to know where the center is. The pod, is. is the podcast the podcast is not pro gun propaganda, right? No, no. It's just it's just it's just historical. It's just historical about yeah. like where it came from and what these myths that we believe in. Where did they come from? And the marketing. It's all about it's a myth to sell guns. It was <laughs> a myth to sell guns because, but it started with the government who wanted to support. A, a gun industry so that they could have good weapons so that they could like take over the world apparently or just protect ourselves. I don't know where it started, but, and it's always has come back to racism. Like once black people started getting guns, like enslaved people getting guns, that's not going to work for these slave owners. So a whole set of policies mm. around that as well. I know this is stuff I didn't know about. The uh, host of the show is Alan Stevens. Is that his, or mm -hmm. Elaine? It's, a, it's a him and it's a woman, yeah. a woman helps him as well. So yeah. All right, Grace Tatter. Grace Tatter. So, Anyways, I've gotten totally off. We've talked about a lot of things today, but it always comes back to cannabis. So <laughs> myths, talk about myths, government myths. That's a cannabis thing. And like how it doesn't have any health benefits. 
not true. And today's guest is going to help us untangle some of that. So thank you, Dave, for again. <laughs> Hang in there, Joyce. I'm here for We're you. Still here. We're still here. We're still here. Yeah, All right. That's right. Okay. So today's guest. Today's guest is the co-founder of the Modern Compassionate Care and Integrative Wellness Clinic in Illinois. She's a board-certified family nurse, serves as Modern Compassionate Care's integrative primary care provider with specializations in medical cannabis and psychedelic treatment modalities. Today's guest is a committed patient advocate and an active member of the American Cannabis Nurse Association, the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, the International Association of Psychedelic Nurses, Chicago Normal, and Illinois Cannabis Equity Coalition. She believes cannabis should be a first-line alternative, which I keep talking about, and not a last resort, especially when many commonly prescribed drugs have potentially dangerous or deadly side effects, which we know about. To date, she has worked with over a 1,000 medical cannabis patients and their families, assisting them to utilize the treatment safely and success successfully. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Nurse Katie Sullivan. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Joyce. It's so good to see you today. Yep, that was that was quite an intro. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, and our 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 own little discussion a little longer than normal, but it's been quite a few days. So mental health stuff. It, has it helps to talk about it. All right, let's just start where you are. You're in Chicago. Let's talk about what is the state of cannabis in where you are. Ooh. <laughs> uh, what was uh, the legality? What is it? Yeah, where is it? This, the legality is we we are we've had medical use. The program started in. January 2014 and adult use since 2020. So we we got both markets going and a lot of challenges integrating those things. That's one of the things about cannabis is how do we make policy? How do we create a system when there's this sort of disconnect where people are, I guess, I would say unsure about recreational use medicinal use is there really a difference what's that fine line and so so much education needs to be done so even though we we have both programs going right now still a lot of work to be done yeah i I mean i i'm in massachusetts so the medicinal seems to be getting lost which is sort of sad but that's a side issue all right we could talk about that forever all right let's just talk about where you came from how did you transition into the cannabis care what was your background and what got you into this it's it's actually it's it's kind of a bit of a saga I, prior to be, being coming a nurse practitioner, I was not in the medical field at all. I was in the nonprofit sector. I worked for a civil rights organization. This was back in, back in the day. And I was also like a young mother and wife of a Marine. Oh. And my husband was deployed to Iraq. He came home and he sort of had strange, mysterious illness that started off kind of concerning and became terminal. So four years after he came home from his deployment, he lost his life due to kind of multi-system illness that we later learned was a result of burn pit exposure. Wow. So wait, so, yeah. oh my gosh. That's, so uh, it was in what? 2009 oh, yeah. when he died. Oh, so uh, early. Okay, before. Okay. Yeah. 2009, we, we had a three-year-old daughter and it was my foray into the medical system as a caregiver, as a family mm. member. And uh, with someone that had a you know, what at the time was they didn't know what was wrong with him. He was seeing a million specialists. He had been diagnosed with multiple different conditions, never really fully identifying that it was a toxic exposure that was the problem. So he was being treated for things like arthritis, ulcerative colitis, 
lung problems. And oh, how old was he when all this was he happening? Was, he, he was 26 when he started oh. getting sick and 30 when he passed away. So in 2009, he was 30. And okay. so we, we, and he was, he was a, he was a Marine. We were part of the VA health system and the first, the Department of Defense medical system. Then he got medically discharged. We became part of the VA health system. And that was a harrowing experience. And it really, we were following the advice of people in the know, doctors telling us, do this, do that. By the time he died, he was on over 20 medications daily and his quality of life had really, really, really declined. And so I, in the wake of that tragedy, I decided that I wanted to do something to try to help other families that were dealing with kind of chronic complex illnesses that had gone through medical trauma, which now I understand and know that we went through that. He went through that and I did as well as his wife. When people that don't want to be over-medicated. There's no one really standing in the center. We, The Western medical system, everything is so specialized. There's no one really looking at the whole person, the whole picture. How is all of this stuff playing together? There, there's so little communication. I mean, it's, it's really what I believe is a broken system. So I had this life-changing tragedy that led me into becoming a nurse and then a nurse practitioner. So my background, I've, I've worked in oncology, stem cell transplants, I've worked in pediatrics and adolescent medicine. I've worked in women's health. And eventually when I got my nurse practitioner license, I, I wanted to go into family practice. I wanted to be kind of a generalist or someone huh. who you'd come to see who could be that point person for people. But then the further I got into it, I there's a lot of medications I don't want to prescribe to people. I don't actually think it's going to help you. And so my passion really now is helping people come off of medications that are unnecessary, helping people edit, edit those medication lists or seek a different path. Cannabis is something that cannabis, I had first known it as a teen, like anyone else. And at the time, I really knew something was up. When I first tried cannabis, I was, I was in high school and okay. I, I'm going to get to that. Like, so what was your relationship? So when you were at, so when you, this is like a lot going on here. Okay. So, sorry. So much. <laughs> World politics, guns, and now family tragedy. It's everything. We have everything on the Kinderman show. So your, your husband passes away. You go to medical school. So did you have any sense, even when your husband was ill, that you could use cannabis as a medicine at that time? Well, I wanted him to because it's like oh, he you had oh. Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. He was having GI issues. He was in a ton of pain, swelling, joint pain. So I was like, you know, what would be great is if you could use cannabis, but he was, it was totally illegal at the time. Yeah, the it was illegal for him to access it as a, as a, as a Marine. And in addition to his physical symptoms, like nearly everyone I know that's been over there, PTSD was part of the picture. He definitely could have benefited from it, but he was never able to access it because of his status as a right. military menu. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So you already knew at some point, you understood that it was medicinal. You go into the medical field yourself. You recognize the dysfunction of our system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all sounds so familiar. Uh, <laughs> so, and now, and I've seen you. So I've seen uh, Katie on these amazing webinars, giving out information. She knows her stuff. She talks about it in a way that's very accessible. I went through the same thing with my own mother. I couldn't explain it. I had a cannabis nurse who talked to her and she was really the first medical professional to ask why my mother was on all those medications. So uh, if there's no idea that you can actually get off them, the medical professionals keep pushing them. All right. So you have a big story. So let's just kind of go 
I'm going to go right into the Cannabis Consumer Council. So that is actually how I met you. Yeah. So you were on a webinar, I can't remember, months ago. Just talk about a little bit about how you're very passionate and you're a good speaker. So how did you get connected to the Cannabis Consumer Event Council? And then what are you doing with them to help educate our population about this? So I, I was reached out to by the executive director. His name's John Chicken Dance. And he he and I had just been connected locally here. I do a lot of advocacy work. I'm always out here trying to fight the good fight, preach yeah. preach to the people. Yeah. yeah. And so he he was interested in Consumer Cannabis Council being a, a new startup organization, kind of hoping to fill some of the gaps in education for for medical providers, for people mm-hmm. trying to access cannabis. Well, the medical providers is the, I mean, I think that is almost, that is the most important link again in these countries. And and now that we talk about adult use versus medicinal, which makes me sad. If we had rolled this out as medicinal and had gotten medical professionals on board before we decide we're going to make a lot of money on it, this industry would look a lot differently, especially in terms of healing. So you're in a position where you're kind of stuck in the middle. You can see that medical professionals need the education. Consumers need the education to buy products at this point. So what do you, I mean, are you you're trying to do like this, the gamut? Like, who do you think you, who, who's your really, your yeah, target you know, I'm, yeah, I'm just every... trying to fill this gap in yeah. care. There's like this image I'm always using in my presentations of a person like stretching their entire body across a canyon trying to, and that's really <laughs> what patients are having to do. Yes. Out there, but I know that the patients, we've had, the, like I said, in Illinois, since 2014, we've had a medical program. Providers do not know how to do anything to talk to people about this. They might be willing to sign for a cannabis card. And there's all these companies that have popped up that are like, get a quickie cannabis card. You have a five minute appointment and they'll sign you off and you can get it done. But there's nobody. If you have a complex situation, if you need more information, if you've never used cannabis before, if the patient is your child, what you're Googling it, you're asking a bud tender your medical yeah. provider doesn't know, hasn't been trained, and they also are often barred from whoever they work with from even speaking to you about it. Exactly. It's wrong. So I, I sensed a real injustice, which for me, when I sense some injustice, I feel compelled to do something about it. So we can't do this to people. I, I, and then putting myself back in the, in the shoes of a person, this family member trying to care for someone whose health was declining. So much I didn't know and understand, and I really had no one to come to for that. And then add in the fact that this, this was an illicit substance, that people are still being criminalized for it, that there's so much inf- misinformation out there that I just thought I have to do something. And I mean, I was not alone. Nursing as a profession, and, and I know you've had other cannabis nurses, colleagues of mine that have been on here to speak. Nurses have been in the medical field, the profession that's kind of led the way in this, have been willing to talk to patients about it. We we have more time, sometimes a little bit closer of a relationship with patients where they're willing to share with us what they're doing. When, and people should be able to talk to a medical provider without fear of legal repercussions, without fear of stigma, judgment, something going into their record that's going to affect them down the line, custody with their children. Like there, there's oh, all yeah, cu- aspects. Everything. Yeah. There's so much that, and at the same time, this is such a safe option for people that can help them reduce some of their medications that gives them autonomy that we have so much evidence of it being helpful and working so we but the uh, so, medical uh, so, so, community was just mia yeah. all right so let's kind of get there's so many questions for you all right in your practice who are you seeing searching out like i have a, a sense of like people who what are they searching you out for and what are they really looking to get help with and have you seen a shift over the past 
I mean, since it's become adult use, have you seen a shift in how, what people need or are using or how, what are you seeing in your practice? I've, I've actually, I've seen more people since it's shifted to adult use, even being more open. So like more people okay. are willing to look at this. I see a ton of seniors, like off the bat. Oh yeah, seniors. A big variety of my, or a big percentage of my patients are seniors. People with chronic pain, people with arthritis, people with sleep issues. And especially for seniors, so many of the medications that I help them use cannabis to replace are on what's called the beers list, which is a list of medications that should be used with caution in Older adults, they're related to dementia, hospitalizations, early deaths, and they're very common medications. Sleep aids are one of them. Cannabis is a great swap in for people. So people with chronic pain and people with just like as we age, we start to hurt more. Those are a lot of my patients. I also work with a ton of patients that have trauma that are using medical cannabis for mental health. And, And that can be a controversial issue. And I don't want that ever to be. When patients come to me, I'm going to meet you where you're at. Like I just look at everybody as an individual and I just try to be totally real with them and, and, and give them the information that we have, that we don't have. And, you know, what I don't know, I'll seek out and find. So when it comes to mental health, I've seen great results. People using, you know, they're, a lot of the medications that we have for mental health conditions have serious side effects, questionable efficacy. And people that tend to use cannabis and have a mental health diagnosis often face extra stigma from their providers and other people. We also see a lot of people that are in the same vein. They might fit into one of those other categories. They're also in recovery. They're trying to get off of opioids. They're trying to get off of benzodiazepines, Mm. alcohol, meth. I mean, I've I've seen kind of the gamut there. And then I also work with a lot of kids, kids Mm. with autism kids with epilepsy, some kids with PTSD. So there's not many providers that do work with pediatrics. But for, for me, and that was a kind of area of, of patients that I, I didn't know that I would be seeing so many, but once I was willing to work with them, and especially when it comes to kids with autism who have high support needs, things like self-injury behaviors, elopement issues, things like that, that Cannabis, CBD, some THC, that can be super helpful. And it's and it's an alternative to some of the medications they give them are like antipsychotics. Those carry a lot of side effects, especially starting in childhood. Most of those kids will end up diabetic because of the side effects of those medications if they're on them long term. I mean, and, I, so, and I've ta- what you yeah. have talked about even the pediatric is that you can't give it to them in the schools. The the school nurses can't actually administer any of these products. So I was talking to a woman, I think she was in Canada, actually. Maybe she was in Michigan. She had to go pick up her son, her son who needs routine, take him out of his classroom, like literally remove him from the building, give him his dose, and then she could bring him back in. Otherwise, he would have been so impaired that they thought that he had to be put away. He was hurting her. He was doing all sorts of physical things. So it's a very strange system we're in, and you're like in the middle of it. That's interesting with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell me about Mom, Modern Compassionate Care. Who did you co-found it with, and how are you working together, and what is your little mission there in Illinois? So my 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 co-founder is, her name is Beth Lupo. She's a, a licensed clinical professional counselor and a certified psychedelic-assisted therapy provider. She's also my best friend of 30 years. <laughs> So she's someone that we've been on a healing journey together, lifelong. Our professions are complementary. And I've had the great opportunity through my training and early work experiences as a nurse practitioner to be in working in close 
collaboration with mental health care providers. And it doesn't make sense to me why we kind of divide the brain from the rest of the body. That's another Neither. thing that yeah. we're trying to weed out. And, and like I said, we see so many patients with PTSD, mental health conditions, that having a cannabis-friendly, cannabis-informed mental health therapist available for people where they're not going to meet stigma was really important. So we started the practice. My 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 services kind of started first. We've just been rolling this out and really taking a deliberate approach. We, we really want to have a, a practice right now as opposed to a business where we're trying to scale things up, take on. We want to see how we can best work with with patients, mm -hmm. use these things and find our way in this field, trying to be ethical. So we offer medical cannabis care. My stuff kind of started first doing that where I certify people for medical cards. I provide that kind of ongoing support, deep dive or just intermittent support. Sometimes people don't need that much guidance and then they'll pop back in a year later and say, hey, I have a question about this. Great. Great. I'm here. And then, then we also open up mental health counseling. So for couples, for adolescents, for just adults. And then this year, through the training we've been doing, we're offering psychedelic assisted therapy with ketamine in a small form. And that's something that it's just like a seemed to be a natural progression for us. For oh, this especially in healing. And, and you're and you're in the I mean, you must still be connected to military families. I mean, at some level. So yeah. this is such an important part of that. I mean, psychedelics, I mean, Medical psychedelics are going to come much faster than medical cannabis at this point to really. I totally agree with you. And this part of my advocacy work, I'll have to give props to National yeah. Jewish Health in Denver. When my husband died, his family, his parents, I want to give the credit to my in-laws, started a foundation and a fund for people that had been exposed to toxic burn pits through National Jewish Health in Denver. We can help military members get funding for outside care that they need outside of the VA. And hopefully more access to treatments like this where we can find we can we can help people in a real way, not throw drugs at them, not really find out what's going on with them and see what the best way is to help them in the least harmful way. So, yeah, so I'm still connected. And okay. anybody from National Jewish Health, you guys are amazing. We really appreciate you and the work that you've done to kind of stand up for this issue. So. Thank you. That's back to our Jewish thing. All right. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> All right. There was recently an acknowledgement from a mainstream nursing association about cannabis nursing. Can you just explain that change and why it's so important? Yes. So finally, and this is through the hard work of the American Cannabis Nurses Association, cannabis nursing has been recognized as an official specialty by the American Nurses Association. So if you are a medical provider out there or an aspiring one, you can specialize in working with cannabis. And I've had some people say, ha ha, what is this, this specialty of cannabis? But it's truly a very complicated plan. I was like, can I have a quick, can I ask you, because I talked to doctors or someone, she's like, you're not called the plant, it's the system. So why isn't it called an endocannabinoid specialist? Why isn't that the word that they're using to explain what this is in terms of like a medical world instead of the plant? Exactly. I, I really, I go off and on from using that kind of term. Oh, you do? Okay. Like, how do we describe ourselves? Because you don't have to actually be using the plant cannabis at all to be working with your endocannabinoid system. Right. It is throughout our entire body. It is our master regulator. Every single person should be working on endocannabinoid support. And you do not need to do that with the plant cannabis, although it's a very efficient way to do so. So I agree. Like, I think yeah. that that's the shift. And a lot of times you would be shocked, Joyce, when I do. I'm a, I'm about to give a 
uh, continuing education training at my alma mater, University of Illinois at Chicago, next month. And I've done that in the years past. So it's been a big honor to go back to my my uh, university to yeah. share this information. And we aren't trained about the endocannabinoid system. If I say endocannabinoid system, I would probably say 70% of medical providers, and maybe that's very generous, would be like, what? Still? They, they're not taught about it. Still, still oh, to this day. I think in 2022, there was a study that came out showing that you know, they did a test with clinicians on their knowledge of the endocannabinoid system, and the mean score was 63%. So like a failing grade. We don't, we don't know anything. The medical, we as being Western medical, yeah, like right. they're, they're just not trained to understand. They know about the plant, this illicit substance that was maligned forever. They do not understand about our body, our endocannabinoids, which are, it's essential. It's one of the, if not the largest receptor network in our entire body. And the fact that we're not teaching medical providers about it is Good All Crazy right. So, that's a, so okay. So, by the, but, okay. But we still call it the cannabis. <laughs> off topic. Keep going. Like off things. All right. So it's called the Cannabis Nurse Association. Or cannabis nurse. What are they calling the specialty that they're? It's, it'll just be cannabis nursing. So, and, and any and any level of nursing can can participate in that. And it's it'll be a nursing specialty where you understand the the endocannabinoid system. Our endocannabinoids that we produce ourselves. They under we understand about the plants. It's it's important that we understand about the products, the systems that are going on. Like I am on the advisory board for the state of Illinois. So it was like an appointment oh, oh, for medical cannabis. So nice. we need medical providers talking to our lawmakers yes. about what this is and educating them. So that's like half of my mission is working with patients. The other half is this vital work that has to be done. And I think you'll find that is true with any cannabis nurse. Advocacy is half our work. Working with patients is the other. So half. our politics, again, I, I love that you're doing that. So the people whispering into the ears of the politicians, that's who's going to decide what this looks like. We have to create, I was going to talk about federal policy. It has to be for the individual and the businesses. We have to stop just giving tax breaks to guys, white guys, and expecting this to like be some kind of miracle. And that everyone who's involved in this industry who knows what they're talking about has to step up and talk to these people who really don't because politicians are mirrors. They right. will just reflect back what you tell them so that they are out there telling them that this is really true and scientific. I love that. That's so good. Um, <laughs> so what's been the reaction when you go do your people policy work? They ask you, like, what kind of strain to use? Are they, like, into it? Or are they, like... Sometimes. Sometimes I've had, like, city council members talk to me about that and other things. But I think they really, we've had a good response. I, I think that they, they are aware of it. There's There's some issues here in Illinois where, you know, the people who are whispering in the politicians' ear are the big cannabis companies. Right. They've exactly. got the money. They have the lobbyists. So what's how it's been set up here in my state and other states, it benefits the state by bringing in taxes. It benefits businesses because we have a limited license market. So it's very, to get that license, it's like a lottery ticket. And they've been very, you know, consciously trying to let those people that have the licenses profit. The people that are losing out are customers and patients. Since we've seen adult use become legal, the medicinal things that my patients are looking for, high CBD strains or high THC in concentrated form for certain people who that's appropriate for, things like transdermal patches, it's been harder to find. They, I, I, I'm hearing this emphasis. across the board. I'm hearing it across yes. the board, which is why when I heard Dr. Uma speak out here and she talks about how it should have been medicinal 
to begin with. Like I never understood it. I didn't understand where we were until I was in the industry. So I can see how this mistake was made, but this was a big one. This should not have come in this way. So absolutely. And, and the people like you are out there talking about policy and trying to get it connected to people who need it. And you're literally, and I say this a lot about the woman I interviewed, you've become the person you needed. So you went through this medical system. You saw what was missing. You discovered that cannabis was something that actually could be used to help people. And now this is your, this is what you're doing, even though you see how hard and complicated and weird it is. So I just, it's um, empowering really to see you do that. All right. So this kind of get back to you. So you talked a little bit about your personal experience when you were young. So like, what was your relationship to cannabis about your life? And then what did your family think of all this when you shifted? (laughs) It's been a a journey. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sitting here trying. We're, lo- we're losing her. Okay, so- uh, <laughs> no, I promise I'm not pulling a bong over here. Go, go, go get a, go get a drink. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay, <laughs> I'm good. So I, the first time I tried cannabis as a teenager, really loved it. Yeah, I know now that I had complex PTSD and I'm neurodivergent. Okay, so it completely makes sense. Oh, okay. Um, why? I felt normal. Normal. I used cannabis. So, but it was illegal. It was always illegal. And And did you grow up up in Illinois? Is that where you grew up? I grew up in Illinois. I'm from here. So, um, yeah, never thought I'd be a cannabis nurse now. If I told my 15-year-old self, this is going to be your job, well, she would have been over the moon, I guess. I mean, that's kind of interesting. So, I do... I'm kind of a late adapter, but I do remember the first time using cannabis once in a while. And I'd be like, I felt normal. Like, and I do, that's how I talk about it now, but I could not have explained it at the time because when I got drunk, I felt whatever you felt when you're drunk, but yeah, the idea, but the story, again, these stories are so powerful. The story in my head was that it was so dangerous. It was killing brain cells. So this feeling that I had of feeling like happy and healthy and integrated to the community, somehow that was dangerous. And I really did believe it. It's very weird, right? What it could do to you, but you were a consumer when you were younger. And then, I mean, your husband was in the Marines. Was he sort of opposed to it? Like, what did he think? He wasn't opposed to it. And he had used it before he became Marine. But like, once he was in the Marines, no, he didn't touch it. Yeah. And he always knew, oh, I kind of liked it. But I, like you, we were taught, yeah, it kills brain cells. It's like, no, it's a neuroprotectant. (laughs) What I learned my own journey with using cannabis, quote unquote, recreationally, as a young person, Really, it helping me get through some difficult things in my life. Then, as I became a young mom and stuff, I, I really just I didn't have access to it at some points. I wasn't, but was in the back of my mind. And when my husband got sick, I was like, I knew this could be helpful for him. I he was on opioids, mm. a lot of opioids, and that was really destroying his life. Like, I, when I he just didn't have this option, so. Learning about this has been such a revelation. And it's like kind of we all kind of come out of the closet, even as a medical provider, as a nurse. Me being able to say I use cannabis, like I'm a medical cannabis patient now. I use some form of cannabis daily. Yep. And it's part of my health plan. Yeah. yeah. And we more of us need to do that. The the medical community itself is so stressed. We have people leaving the profession in droves. Total totally traumatized from being part of this medical system they could use cannabis more than anyone else here so but they're one of the people that are 
completely banned from it. I think the same thing about police officers. No, I think um, about all of them. If, the, if you could yeah. calm down and connect to yourself, then you would be a healthier person. And we can only do this person by person. This is an individual story. If you want to do something good for the world, heal yourself, people. I, I mean, take the time to consider that. I don't know. We can do this, but that the story has been like really ingrained in our brains and it's hard for us to accept that it's true. But seeing you, right. seeing the ladies I'm talking to, I can even bring this back to the Jew thing. When you see something out there and you are connected to it and you have a relationship, it changes your mind. It doesn't change your mind. It opens up that space for you to find a space to say, maybe I was wrong. Because you have to change your own mind. It has to come from within. So people like Katie who are out there doing this work and really kind of crushing that stigma, looking at you, talking to you. I'm sure the you're not a stoner sitting on the couch eating your Cheetos and <laughs> and you're a mom. So let's go back to how old is your child now? You're... She's 17 now. So oh, she's, so a, she's a senior in high school and I've done, she's probably the best educated teenager on cannabis that I know. So that is a cannabis. That's, can, that's, can, that's a cannabis gift. So talk a little bit yes. about, so- your daughter actually had a, about a bit of trauma when she was little. I mean, just Absolutely. the whole process. And that she had this mom who hopefully was helping to heal herself. And I always say the can of kids are all so smart. If someone offers them a product, they'll be like, well, what's the strain? What's the THC level? What, what are the terpene profile? I have a test later. Right. Yeah. So and they like, know these well, things. And that's what I want from her. Because even she's somebody that like she's had trauma. Like I, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this. She is a medical cannabis patient. Mm-hmm. She she's she's experienced some um issues in the past few years with dysautonomia and pots, if you know what pots is. So she's had some medical issues as well as this history of trauma. She had a, she lost her father young. I'm just so incredibly proud of her. And even as a medical cannabis provider, it took me some time to say, okay, is this the right choice for my, for my child? And she doesn't smoke or anything like that. She's so educating her. That's interesting. That. So like even because I hear this a lot. Okay. So you you actually know what's going on and still that story is so sort of strong in the back of your head. You're like, I, I gotta like but you did overcome it. You kinda move forward and you can feel it. You can feel the you can feel the shame. People don't even know where the shame comes from. I think that's sort of part of the story. Right. And then once you acknowledge it, say, Whatever, this feeling exists, and then you're still gonna do what you need to do and you did. So when you start introducing products into her life, did you talk with her medical professional? How did people react? Was there an issue? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I came, I came, I came with all the info and I came prepared. And it was, it was some of the choices like, do you want to, do you want your child to be on an SSRI or try a low dose of a high CBD edible? Well, SSRIs and other antidepressants carry a black box warning for young people for suicide. That was, so when I laid the facts out in front of me, even my internalized, which is like, am I doing the right thing by my daughter? Am I going to be judged to, by trying this with my child? I counsel people to try it with their child. But my daughter had sort of a, we didn't quite know what was going on with her. And it's like, have I drank the Kool-Aid? Well, yes, I have, but for good reason. And so because my daughter is older, 16, 17, I didn't make the decision. I laid it out to her. We went through the options and she made the decision. And then we, and because I do what I do and I am who I am, I, I knew the right providers to seek out who I knew wouldn't stigmatize her or me or who would be open to trying this. And it's been really helpful for her. And I think that by, if, when she's inevitably has and is going to encounter cannabis, and again, I, I have this like, 
I, I find recreational use to be therapeutic, so I don't really like the term recreational use. I don't either. I just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all. I think she's going to have the tools to make the right decisions for herself. Be safe. She knows what the products are out there. She knows what she's looking for. She She's aware of the effects of it. She's like in such a better position than I ever was. Oh, yeah. At her age. So when I, whereas I was like told, don't do this. So I was like actively seeking it out in kind of like an illicit way. This has been presented as an option to her, and her use of it has been very monitored, regimented. Like she and again, has it wasn't and, and you didn't, she does. She didn't again. We're kind of this is the next generation. Yeah. She didn't have to come to it as a last resort. She didn't have to go through everything else that they go through and then say, "Wow, nothing worked. What can I desperately try for you?" And then find it. So right. she's lucky. She's lucky. And that that's what someone. I was seeing with my patients. Exactly what you said. Yeah. Where it was a complete last resort, and they made you go through all of the other things. And if you think about antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, cycling through all of those trials of the drugs is just further messing with your neurotransmitters, and it can cause more harm than good in some cases. So, yes, not a right. last resort. Not a last resort. All right. So is there a movement of you? Are there yous across the country? people who are doing this the nurses who are i think so and as i've been following my path doing this where i was like i'm coming out of the closet i'm totally representing cannabis as a, a viable option a healthy option something that people should know more about and so i kind of followed my intuition there and as i've kept following it the coolest people have come into my life i've met so many other medical providers that are doing this i don't want to operate alone i definitely want to work in community and even connecting with you joyce it's like there are many of us who are saying uh -huh. this, and now we are able to stand up and say, hey, look at me. Like, I use cannabis. I advocate for cannabis. I can give you information about cannabis. Let's have these conversations. And so I have been able to meet so many people. So I, like I said, I'm a part of the American Cannabis Nurses Association, Society of Cannabis Clinicians. Like, if you are someone out there that's looking for more of the services that we provide where you need some extra help, those are both good places to search and find a provider who can not just sign your medical cannabis card, but really educate you and answer your questions and work with you about this. So totally. It's amazing. I mean, the coolest thing ever. Meeting everybody in this community has just reinforced for me every day. We're on the right path. So what I say is that this is an industry filled with healed women. They've literally healed themselves or healed someone they love with this medicine and this plant. And they have um, become evangelized. And you guys are out there doing this very impressive work. And why wouldn't we want to be led by healed people? I love that. And I it like and, it, <laughs> and, and I love that you mentioned women, too, and that your podcast highlights that. Because that's one thing I've noticed doing this work. Of course, there's a lot of wonderful men that I've worked with in this space. But there are so many women. Women have been such leaders in this space for recognizing the true therapeutic potential of cannabis. And I love that. I'm so drawn into that feels so good to be amongst those people who are healed and healing and walking the same path. It's incredibly gratifying. It's empowering and it's hopeful. <laughs> and in this very, very scary world, it's a hopeful thing. I really talk about cannabis like it does everything, which I know it doesn't, although I do think hemp does, but that's a whole other discussion. We could go, we could heal our entire planet and heal ourselves if we just invested in this plant. And it was a stupid, bad story always back to the stories of why it is illicit in the first place. So if you're Absolutely. curious, learn more about it. All right, Katie, this is so great. Thank you for joining us today. I'm running out of time. All right, I guess just what's the best way to connect with you? People are just want to connect with you personally, want to find out about you medically, or if they want to connect with your business, what's the best way to reach out? 
hundred percent. You can go to our website, which is moderncompassionatecare.com. You can find me on Instagram at moderncompassionatecare or at shy cannabis nurse, C-H-I, because I'm from Chicago. Or find me on LinkedIn if you're a professional. Like I'm on there and I love connecting with people through that app as well. Or just email me, katie at moderncompassionatecare.com. She's very, she's very accessible and she's giving out good information and she's doing all this stuff and she's a can of mom. So thank you for joining us. I feel much more informed already. All right. So another show. So for my guest, nurse Katie Sullivan, and of course my can of bro, David Yaz, and the can of mom show team here. I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the can of mom show where we're on a mission to enhance the impact women have in the emerging cannabis industry by preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing these stories of the incredible women building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.